And we welcome you to the Friday Morning Show on WGTD. I'm Gregory Berg. And that beautiful musical artistry is courtesy of my two morning show guests today, Michael Bridge and Cornell Volak, who bill themselves as Bridge and Volak. And they are coming to Carthage College to play a concert on Thursday, February 24th. And I am so excited to be making their acquaintance today, especially after having listen to a number of their performances. Michael Bridge, on uh, often on the accordion and or the piano and other keyboards. Cornel Volak, also uh, adept at the uh, piano, but especially on the clarinet. And what they do together is incredibly exciting. They uh, build themselves as a globe-trotting music and comedy duo. And uh, we're going to find out about their sort of musical biographies and the collaboration that they enjoy on stage and also how comedy enters the picture in their performances. I suspect we'll also touch a little bit on uh, the unhappiness of the COVID-19 pandemic, which I'm sure uh, was uh, a source of frustration for them as it has been for so many musicians and how good it must feel for them to be on stage again and in front of uh, appreciative audiences. And again, you should be marking your calendar for Thursday, February 24th, when they come to perform at Carthage. Michael Bridge and Cornel uh, Volak, we welcome you both to The Morning Show. Hello, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm so Thank glad you very much for having us. So nice to put faces and names and voices with the uh, wonderful music that I have enjoyed listening to. I think maybe we should start with something as basic as your respective friendship and collaboration. Where did you two first meet? And uh, under what circumstances did you first begin collaborating as musicians? We started, I think, uh, over 10 years ago now. We've actually lost track of the time because uh, it goes by so quickly. But we were introduced by my accordion professor, Joseph Masarolo, at the University of Toronto. And Joe used to tour with Cornell. Um, and at some point said, you know, I have 
you know, grandchildren and other family responsibilities. I would not like to be on the road constantly anymore. But there is this uh, young student that I have who might be available and perhaps you should, two should talk. So that's where things started. But of course, it's changed and transformed a lot over 10 years. And we've, we've toured all over the place, uh, three continents, hundreds of concerts, hundreds of arrangements now. Um, and, you know, a lot of people think about the fact that a group spends, you know, so much time rehearsing and you have fun on stage. But actually, when you're on tour, you're only on stage for maybe two hours out of the day. The other 22 hours, you have to be able to get along. And you have to be in sync on your decisions. So it's it's really important to have a, a good, solid friendship. And that certainly helps me to, you know, put up with him. <laughs> uh, we, we, we congratulate you on your patience and on his patience as well. So <laughs> glad uh, all of this works out so well. Let's find out uh, kind of more individually your, your musical stories. Uh, Cornell Volak, let's start with you. Tell us uh, where you come from originally. And at what point and under what circumstances music uh, entered your life and entered your heart? Well, it's a pleasure. Originally, I come from Poland, uh, and uh, and I left my, my home country when I was very young for studies. I came to the U.S., actually. I studied at Indiana, briefly at Juilliard, then in Indiana. Um, and that was for almost seven years before I came to Canada and made home in Canada. Um, my the music in my life always has had a center stage because both of my parents are classically trained musicians. So music was present there right from the very beginning. So um, before I was even able to, to stand up and, and when I was able to sit, I was being sat at the piano and then taught how to play it. And <laughs> I was often ta taken to orchestra rehearsals and classroom teaching. You know, when my parents were teaching and playing in the orchestra, they would always take me along. And there's plenty of funny stories about, about, uh, about those days. But as I said, music was present right from the start. And so I started on the piano, of course, it was the most accessible. And then around the age of 10, or 11, I would say, I had to pick a secondary instrument, which which uh, was up to me, what would that be? And then I really wanted to pick something as, re as, as foreign to my parents as possible. Uh, so no strings and no brass, because mom plays viola and, and father plays trumpet. So I picked the clarinet, so I just wanted to have my own thing, so no one could invade that space, you know, and tell me how to practice and <laughs> and how to play those notes and whatever. So, um, but as fate won it, I had a I had a really bad first teacher, you know, a very discouraging individual. I would say that, you know, not not non charismatic whatsoever. So I was doing rather poor, poorly, you know. It was my first independent choice as to what I want to do musically and then off I go being discouraged every lesson at the time. Mm -hmm. So finally that gentleman kicked me out from his from his studio. He said I no longer want to teach you cuz uh, we don't click. But I have a but I have a graduate who just started teaching and and maybe he will be okay to to with with having you. So okay, well, I swallowed that and I started studying with this young graduate and you know what? The world turned around. 
this young gentleman had such such great charisma and, and he was so supportive and understanding that he changed my mind about clarinet and clarinet playing. And all these years later, here I am, I'm still playing classical music on the clarinet, which I chosen as my own instrument. And I owe it to a teacher mm. and, and hence my strong belief in the importance of the right type of pedagogy. But maybe about that, we can talk a little bit later. Absolutely. Okay, so that's my Very story. Good. So you chose clarinet uh, uh, as a rebel. <laughs> yes, you yeah, can it, say that. And it's worked out really well. Very good. Uh, Michael Bridge, tell us about your your uh, early entry in into music and how that happened. Well, in my case, I started also on piano, as you know, most of us do at some point. And shortly after that, when I was about five, my mom was at a garage sale and saw a tiny little accordion for $5 available for purchase and she bought it sort of on an impulse. We had a friend, an old family friend who played some accordion. She thought it'd be fun for me. And I did seem to show some musical promise even back then. And so I got my first little accordion and started learning from this friend. Fast forward a few years, I had gone to a teacher uh, in the city where I grew up in Western Canada and I was starting to play a ton of folk music on accordion and classical piano. And these worlds were for me pretty separate for quite a while. And then when I was about 15, I, my eyes were opened to the fact that you could do classical and concert music on accordion, which is a connection that I, I don't think I had really made before because there were very few examples of that around in North America. Um, so that's when my light bulb moment occurred and I got a different type of accordion, one with buttons on both sides and started preparing seriously for international competitions, uh, started aiming for university level studies on the accordion, wanted to play Bach, wanted to play uh, contemporary pieces. And I've been following that path um, ever since with one extra addition that came later, which was the world of digital accordion. And this is something that Cornell and I, I would say more or less discovered together or simultaneously. Um, I started playing it seriously around 2013. And a couple years later, we were slowly starting to integrate that instrument into our repertoire and figuring out how can we use this computer that's shaped like an accordion that can make literally any sound uh, and pair that with an acoustic clarinet and make interesting music that has a cool vibe where maybe we're updating music from centuries past and playing it in a 21st century way. So that has been our great problem that we've been working on now for many years. And, and I say problem as in challenge because we are the only group now that features digital accordion with acoustic clarinet. So we have tradition and technology colliding and we love that challenge of putting those together. And, and I, I would say that's one of the main sources of inspiration for what we now do. So I would love to know more about what the digital accordion is. So 
it sounds like it's for all intents and purposes a synthesizer but it doesn't look like a a standard keyboard synthesizer it's a it has the shape of a of a of a normal or acoustic accordion and you essentially play it in the same way but you have this array of of possibilities in terms of the sound it makes and are you not physically creating the sound the way that you do in an accordion with your whatever they are bellows or whatever um i mean is it being is that sound being generated in a completely different and entirely uh, electronic way if you if you don't mind i know i know you addressed this question to michael but i just wanted to say that this is one of the things that michael so eloquently explains during the q a section of our concert um so i would people actually, should come I, I would i would use this question as an invitation to come and check it out um on your own guys you know uh, listeners you pretty much answered all the questions yourself greg <laughs> <laughs> but i can i can yeah. i can confirm some of it though um it does look like an accordion except it has a few lights on it um, and it certainly doesn't sound like an accordion most of the time. It can sound like an accordion, and we do that, but it can sound like literally any instrument. And you know how with a digital piano or a keyboard, you can just hit a button and suddenly it sounds like a guitar or a bass or strings or whatever. You can have any sound. The same is true on the digital accordion, except it goes further. Um, the digital accordion is significantly more advanced than any digital piano can be. It's been described by Roland as the most advanced synthesizer in the world. Go figure that that happens to be an accordion. Uh, the reason why is because accordionists are very good at controlling volume with their arm. So they can, they pull on the bellows to affect how loud notes are. That is one way of controlling volume. Then we also have how hard you hit the keys with your fingers on accordion. It's sensitive to that as well. So I, in essence, have two ways of controlling volume instead of just one. Hmm. And that means that we can blend together many different sounds, control them separately, all at the same time. So it creates fascinating sound worlds. And we're going to pause the interview at this point in order to give you the chance to sample the sound of the digital accordion that Michael Bridge was just talking about. This is a performance by Bridge and Wolak of music of Scarlatti, and you will think that Michael Bridge is playing the harpsichord, perhaps, but no, it is this amazing instrument known as the digital accordion.
the one or two times I've actually picked up an accordion, it was incredibly heavy. So, uh, which leads me to think that most accordion players are also bodybuilders, maybe without <laughs> intentionally being so. Is your uh, digital accordion similarly uh, heavy to to hold and to um, and, and no? To, it, so it's actually lighter, which is a blessing. It's a, almost ten pounds lighter than an acoustic, which over the course of a two-hour concert, I definitely appreciate. Wow. So, uh, Cornell Avolak, there's no such thing as a digital clarinet thus far. You are remained uh, firmly ensconced in the acoustic world. Well, there is uh, there is something called iwi, which uh, can is shaped like an like uh, like an uh, I want to say accordion. It's shaped like a clarinet. But it's digital. It has no moving parts on it, and just sensors under your fingertips. But um, that would take a, our duo into a completely different direction. Uh, we would end up being pretty much just a, a digitized duo without too much access to the music that actually drives us. And the music that drives our duo, if I can speak also on behalf of Michael, is the Baroque music that comes from Baroque era. Um, it's classical music, but in, in Baroque in particular, the complexities of lines, they lend themselves so beautifully to, to accordion or to organ uh, or to any polyphonic instrument for that matter. And also there is there's always a room for a solo line that we can always adapt to a clarinet. And that music as adaptable to any genre and style of arrangement as it might be, it really benefits from having an acoustic element. And we found that that works best for us when we, when we keep a healthy balance between um, the acoustic and the digital. And that's what brings the unique sound and the unique blend. Of course, it causes us a great deal of uh, effort to make appropriate arrangements that feature uh, the both instruments at their best, but it's worth every effort. You know, it's worth every effort. And and then we also found that nothing works more uh, in a positive way on our audiences as having the, you know, something that that vibrates at the real time. You know, which clarinet does um, when the sound is not generated digitally. So we are half analog half digital. I love that blend and I hope you will forever be so. For those of you just joining us, I'm speaking with a Bridge and Wolak. That's Michael Bridge and Cornell Wolak. And they are going to be performing at Carthage College on Thursday, February 24th. And we are meeting them today and listening to some examples of their, their uh, marvelous uh, uh, musical collaboration. So you do like to uh, fold some comedy evidently uh, into what you do, at least into some of what you do. Can you explain that element of your performances? Well, well Cor Cornell at least thinks he's funny. <laughs> that, you know, we, we never been told that, that we are, that we are funny. We thought we were being just ourselves. Uh -huh. uh, that's uh -huh. the part. So, so, so it's never, it never was a, a part of the design of the show. It just comes naturally that that when the audience inspires the right way, we, we become to play with words and with facts and, uh, and bring stories from our personal experiences that seem to amuse our audiences. 
but once we figured, once we once we've been described that, uh, at some point we we started to to look at it closer and and we figured, you know, we should probably have some sort of a reference point in order to be uh, more precise with how we think about ourselves because it's important, like how how you think about what you do and what you perceive yourself to be. And we figured that perhaps the reference point that serves us best is Victor Borga. Mm. Um, except there's two of us, of course, right? So we're twice as funny. <laughs> um, but but he was he was the father of, of music and comedy, you know, one person show, and he was absolutely brilliant. And if we were to describe our uh, our humor, probably be closest to to him. What would you say, Michael, to that? Oh, most definitely. <clears throat> Well, and he was a very skilled musician on top of it, not just a clown, but uh, somebody who knew music, understood it, played very well. And uh, yeah, he, what he did was, was amazing. So yeah. On that note, was... you know, that's, that's another commonality that we have with uh, Victor is that we're both classically trained too. Right. It's, it's that there's a certain level of competence that we bring to the music that comes through our training that... Uh, I think it's commendable and 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 it brings uh, this extra value to to what we do because one can be funny all they want but when it comes down to playing i mean that's the ultimate truth whether you are able to move your audiences right uh, or not um, and and we 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 are we we we're lucky that we're we got the training that we did and we have the ability that we have in order to combine them so yes i can see another commonality there so for instance the program that you play on february 24th uh will it likely be all classical or mostly classical or is it more evenly balanced between more classical repertoire and and more modern music that you yourselves have kind of created from scratch it's going to start with classical. The first song that we play will be classical. The second one will be twisted classical or modernized classical. And then after that, I think it's pretty much uh, free for all for the rest of the concert. Moving through uh, folk music from France, from Bulgaria, uh, moving through jazz, Benny Goodman, Sidney Bechet tunes, uh, and certainly also at least one sort of riotous polka at some point, because, you know, accordion and clarinet, we can't escape the inevitable of what people actually expect us to do. So uh, we, we do cover all of that. The one thing that I'll say is that every piece that we play, which is very broad and diverse, it's probably best described as a variety show, but the thread through everything is that all of these arrangements we approach as what we like to call concert music, where it's not only classical, but it is, uh, even when we play a folk or a jazz song, we try to bring a really uh, deliberate and high level of, of uh, preparedness and sophistication to the arrangement. We really have worked on all of these for years. Um, Although some of it is very spontaneous and in the moment, there's also meticulous preparation behind everything. And these are the two scales that we're always trying to balance. Right. So there's real craftsmanship in what you're doing, whether you're playing Scarlatti or whether you're playing a folk tune from Bulgaria or wherever. In, in any case, we have worked on all of these arrangements 
uh, which we've made through many iterations and performed them you know, outside, uh, the, we did one concert in the central town square in Krakow, Poland, uh, sort of a stadium setup. Then we've done concert halls uh, from small, like 200 seater up to 2000 seater. We've done house concerts uh, in all cases, playing uh, these arrangements in many different environments. And this is actually something we're quite passionate about is making sure that it works no matter what. Um, and, and this is something that we also try to teach uh, our various students how to be ready for any circumstance as a performer, because uh, every new environment is different. Every hall sounds different. Um, and we, we adapt to that actively. And I think audiences don't always think about when they're watching a show, the fact that it is being created specifically for them today. You know, based on the emotions of the day, whatever was in the news, uh, how the hall sounds, what the lights look like, we change what we do. And when they laugh, if they're a very uh, laughing, warm audience, we certainly adapt uh, to them. So it's very much prepared, but as I said, also a very live performance. Wonderful. And because of that, because of our show being pretty much audience driven, we have a question for you, Gregory. What is tell that? Us a, tell us a little bit more about your audience. What should we expect? What sort of vibe should we expect? What sort of level of, of humor your audience enjoys? And what stories do they tell when they come to concerts? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I, I would say in terms of who is likely listening to this interview, uh, public radio listeners are very intelligent. They're very inquisitive. They love to learn. And I think they love to laugh and they love to learn and laugh. And uh, so uh, I think uh, they're going to enjoy very much what you have in mind for February 24th. I want to ask you uh, both about uh, what it's been like to try to carry on in the midst of this pandemic, of course, which has been such a painful uh, source of frustration for performers of every stripe and and not just here of course but all over the globe um first of all what what has it been like for you and what kinds of things have you tried to do in the wake of so much of what you did uh having to go on hiatus i would assume for for, for a time uh how, how did you carry on i think it's safe to say and honest to say that it's not been easy it's it's good to start out with with acknowledging with, with full vulnerability you know that that being isolated for an artist who is used to performing it's like taking the fish out of the water so it's been probably the longest two years we've experienced you know, metaphorically speaking um and and there were ups and downs uh, at various moments, depending on, on the intensity of isolation that we were asked by our government to exercise and caution. But we managed to find ourselves incredibly busy throughout the pandemic um, because we were not able to be in front of people. So we decided that we're going to still do something that is interactive and also educational uh, in design. And we came up with what we call a music mentorship program. 
Michael, would you like to expand on this? Sure. The Bridge and Wolak Music Mentorship Program, we conceived it for high school students because we realized there are three critical moments in music education. One is when you are a child, for students to first approach an instrument, to go from no music to starting an instrument. That's the first thing that must happen. Then usually as teenagers, um, there's a moment when you're 15, 16, 17, and you're wondering, should I keep doing this? Do I go to music school post-secondary or not? And then if you do do that, then there's this also this moment as you graduate from college where you end up trying to figure out, can I make the transformation into a full-time professional? So these three critical junctures, we, we know that these exist. And there are a lot of programs for the first one and the third one, but there aren't that many that focus on how to teach teenagers about the various career options that exist in the music industry beyond just performance and just teaching, which is what people think of. So we interviewed on the stage of a beautiful concert hall about 15 professionals from the music industry, from audio engineers to producers, presenters, artists, teachers, lighting engineers, administrators. Um, and we recorded these beautiful interviews. And then we started uh, an online virtual program for teenagers to enroll in with us. We share these interviews as sort of the background so they get to meet many individuals. And then we basically mentor them and talk them through how would they pursue an interest in any one of these fields if it speaks to them. So the idea is that we present to them as many career paths in the arts as possible and give them a few steps on how they could uh, pursue each one further. And we believe, and we've run the program now twice in full. Um, and by the way, we're always looking for more students for our next iteration of the program. And this really has stimulated us, kept us busy, caused us to rethink what we are doing when we are explaining it to somebody else. And really, uh, I think we've, we feel like we've made a meaningful difference in a totally different area of the music industry other than being on stage. And we wouldn't have gotten around to making this if it were not for sitting at home for a year uh, during the pandemic. So there was this silver lining that we've been able to give back in another way. That's great. Yes, and because this is a 100% virtual experience, it's something that is open to virtually anybody, so to speak. So uh, people can seek out more information about that. I know uh, on your website, uh, bridgevolak.com. Well, I know lots of people are excited for you uh, uh, coming to Carthage on uh, Thursday, February 24th. Is this performance part of uh, a tour in which you're uh, making other appearances uh, in, in the U.S.? Yes, certainly it is. We will be on tour starting this uh, coming uh, Wednesday, which is uh, February the 16th, and we will be on tour in the United States for three consecutive weeks almost. So we are happy that we will stop by your college and meet your audiences and that we are back in action, back in the road. Uh, I have to also add uh, a you know, a particular observation I've made on our last tour that was what was last week. 
that it seems that the audiences are way, way more um, hungry for arts than they were before. And they're really appreciative and, and interactive more than before. You know, uh, it seems like, like taking a pause, such a long pause from live shows um, increased their anticipation of, of the uh, in-person delivery of, of those performances, which compensates in a way all the struggles that artists had to go through uh, while waiting and canceling concerts and moving them around. So the pleasure is therefore greater uh, coming and performing in person um, at this different, on these different stages. So we're looking forward to come to your, your city. I think uh, on both sides of the stage, those on the stage, those in the audience, uh, this is something I hope we will never take for granted like we once did now having experienced it uh, being taken away from us for uh, such a large extent. It's something uh, we're very excited about. Again, uh, Ridge and Volak perform at Carthage College on Thursday, February 24th. I'll give full information about that in just a moment. And uh, more information about what they do can be found at their wonderful website, bridgevolak.com. That's the normal word bridge and then W-O-L-A-K, bridgevolak.com. Uh, Michael Bridge, Cornell Volak, I am so happy to have this opportunity to meet you both. I've enjoyed so much hearing your music and look forward very much to experiencing your concert on February 24th. And uh, thank you again for being part of the morning show today. Thank you so much. Pleasure. We'll see you soon. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Thursday morning show on WGTD. I'm Gregory Berg. We're going to give you the opportunity to hear a little more from Bridge and Volak, this terrific musical duo that performs at Carthage a week from tonight on February 24th. You're going to be hearing them perform Gankino Concerto, a fantasia based on a popular Bulgarian folk tune, Gankino Horo. By the way, the very first percussion sounds that you'll hear in this recording are actually created on the clarinet. It's a really wonderful piece, and let's enjoy it now. Bridge and Volak performing their own Gantino Concerto. Thank you. 
That was Bridge and Volak performing their own Ganchino Concerto. To finish out today's morning show, I want to play for you one more example of uh, the beautiful artistry of this marvelous musical duo. And in this particular case, uh, Cornel Volak will not be playing the clarinet as we've heard him thus far this hour, but rather is at the piano. And an accomplished pianist he is. And he is joined by Michael Bridge on the digital accordion for a piece that they created, which they call Digital Stardust. It is a fantasia based on the famous Sicilienne of Johann Sebastian Bach. This melody comes in the uh, second movement of his second flute sonata.
Digital Starlight by Bridge and Volek. They're going to be performing a concert at Carthage College next Thursday evening, February 24th, 7.30 p.m. in Siebert Chapel. The concert will be available uh, via live stream, uh, but I, for one, am really looking forward to being in Siebert Chapel to experience the concert in person. If you would like to purchase tickets, you can go to www.carthage.edu slash tickets. Also, if you would like more information about Bridge and Volak, including more information about their recordings, you can go to their website, which is bridgevolak.com. That's uh, the normal word bridge, and then Volak is W-O-L-A-K. So B-R-I-D-G-E-W-O-L-A-K.com.